evening everybody. May I offer you a blessing to all of those those of you who have come here practicing the Dharma. This is the second formal talk of the of the week. In the first talk I gave you a, an outline of the practice of Anapanasati. Uh, to recap on the practice of Anapanasati or mindfulness of breathing it's a meditation technique for calming the mind for finding peace of mind through establishing or fixing mindfulness on the breathing on the in and out breaths as we practice mindfulness of, breathe, of the breathing, mindfulness with the breathing, it's common that one starts to proliferate, starts to think, get caught into thinking or doubting and gets caught into doubt, uncertainty about the practice. When this happens, uh, Ajahn Chah used to say to just contemplate the impermanence of these thoughts and doubts they're not sure, they're not certain or sometimes in the course of the meditation the mind is very very agitated thinking a lot or very confused then he suggested to try taking in three very deep breaths fill the lungs up to the full capacity so there's no room for any more air and then let all that air out, do that three times just to re-establish mindfulness having done that, taken in the three deep breaths, let them out re-establish awareness on the breathing and simply know the breathing as you breathe in and out there should be the knowing there's no need to try and force the breath or do anything unnatural with it, just let it flow naturally at its own pace as you continue to practice mindfulness with breathing different thoughts will come up in the mind and you'll probably find that you could be partially aware of the, the breathing and partially aware of the thoughts but although you might not be able to completely stop thinking you still have a, a certain level of calm as, as some of your mindfulness is with the breathing so don't worry about it when thoughts come up as the mind starts to calm down like this and you have a certain level of mindfulness but there are still thoughts coming up it's rather like a chicken in its coop the chicken moves around but it's, it's got its limits the edge of the chicken coop it's the same with your mindfulness the thoughts come up but because there is already a certain level of mindfulness they don't go too far, the mind doesn't wander too far if the mind is calm like this then both the body and the mind will feel, start to feel light and at ease, relaxed and this makes it, uh, puts the mind in a state that's ready for work or ready to contemplate then you can start to contemplate this body start to contemplate it in terms of the three characteristics to see it as impermanent as unsatisfactory and as not self 
this is what gives rise to insight. This is it. Vipassana meditation, which uses the three characteristics, anicchan, dukkha, anatta, as its object. But if the mind is still too agitated, too confused, then to clearly see these three characteristics, to practice a vipassana and, and gain clear insight will be difficult or impossible, rather like a knife that's still blunt, not sharp enough to cut through things. In Buddhism, we talk about three kinds or three levels of wisdom. There's the wisdom or knowledge that comes through uh, learning from hearing talks or studying books. Second, slightly deeper or more profound level is that which comes through one's own contemplation of what one's heard, what one's studied, but contemplating it within one's own mind through the thinking process. But the highest kind of wisdom, the wisdom which one is seeking for in Buddhism, is that uh, wisdom or insight which comes through uh, vipassana through the quiet mind, contemplating things very clearly, seeing very clearly. The kind of insight or wisdom that arises from the peaceful mind uh, is like, say, when the mind is peaceful, perhaps you reflect on leaves that fall off the trees when they die. When they fall from the trees at first, they're freshly coloured, fresh green coloured, but as they uh, lose their moisture, dry up, they crinkle, become dark brown, golden yellow colour. Just a simple reflection like that with a peaceful mind can give rise to a deep sense of dispassion as one sees the impermanence of all conditioned things. So the practice of meditation to calm the mind as a basis for insight is very important and it's very good that you're coming to here to practice like this, practice meditation, learning to calm your mind. This is the best way to develop mindfulness and wisdom. It's quite natural that sometimes you'll feel more peaceful, other times you'll feel not very peaceful at all. Don't worry about that, just keep trying to do the practice. Sometimes you might be very diligent and practice meditation every day for seven days or ten days, but then stop for another seven days, ten days or a period of time. If you do it like that, it will be difficult to get uh, firm results or good results. If you, <coughs> if you try and maintain a more, uh, more conti continuity with your practice, do it regularly, and contemplate uh, the breath, pra practice mindfulness of breathing and just contemplate the impermanence of the body, the impermanence of the breath as the breath goes in and out. If one sees that often, sees it clearly, this is what will give rise to true insight and understanding. Or you could con uh, contemplate the four elements, the four physical elements divide the body up into the four elements, the earth element, heat element, water element and the air element. See how these elements come together temporarily and then separate again. 
the physical body, the physical form that we have here, it's not here all the time in this way, it's always changing, constantly changing and eventually it's going, the body will die, degenerate, degenerate, break up. One can contemplate this and this is what will give rise to insight, to wisdom. Or again, to contemplate the forms, that, the images that we see with the eyes, the sounds that we hear, the tastes that we taste, the smells we receive, the physical sensations we receive with the body or the thoughts and ideas that come up in the mind again to contemplate them, see the, uh, the way they arise and pass away their unsatisfactory nature the fact that uh, the lack of self in these things again this will give rise to wisdom, to insight whatever object the mind receives if one has mindfulness and sampajanya or clear comprehension or all-round knowing this is what will give rise to wisdom as one's mind receives whatever the object is with mindfulness and clear comprehension then the three characteristics will be perceived it will be seen as impermanent, unsatisfactory and as not self and this will give rise to a separation the mind will separate separate off from whatever that object is or it will detach, detach, detach from that object and that's what will give rise to peace of mind if you're contemplating the mind and its mood this we call Jitanupasana as one of the four Satipatthanas one of the four foundations of mindfulness whenever a mood takes hold of the mind when the mind has, is greedy or uh, desires something or if there is aversion or if there is some form of delusion one can contemplate this mood, see it as it arises establishes itself and passes away and seeing the arising and passing away of the mood one will detach from it but if the mind is not yet calm or peaceful with samadhi then that act of trying to see uh, the mood, the object in terms of the three characteristics will be something that one, one won't clearly see it it will be sanya or just memory banya or insight is something different one sees the three characteristics very profoundly and it affects the mind, makes the mind uh, one sees very clearly and the mind becomes peaceful from this you have to try and give rise to insight as often as possible to practice meditation develop as much insight as possible particularly contemplate the body see the body very clearly in terms of the three characteristics in practicing meditation Ajahn Chah often used to advise that you don't have to analyze a lot or think about things a lot, work things out a lot just simply bring up these three simple reflections of impermanence, unsatisfactoriness and not-self whatever it is that's coming up in the mind just use these simple reflections and the mind can accept that, can believe those, those three things
and that this can bring peace to the mind. So mindfulness is a very important foundation of the practice. Whatever your posture, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, try to maintain mindfulness at all times. As mindfulness becomes more continuous, like drops of water running together to, to form a one flow of water, say like drops of water from a tap becoming a stream of water. As you use sati or mindfulness to watch over the mind, you watch out to see whether the mind is getting caught into liking or attraction and disliking or aversion. Whenever it does get caught into liking or disliking, then you become aware of that, make it known to yourself. If mindfulness and clear comprehension are working together and insight into the three characteristics comes about, then the mind will not attach to moods, won't attach to objects. If it's not caught into liking and disliking, it's in a neutral or balanced state. This is Majjhima Patipata or the middle way. And this is the beginning of the path, the noble path. As we're sitting practicing here, all the factors of the Eightfold Noble Path are coming together within each of us, Sila, Samadhi and Banya. As we're practicing even with the, uh, with the intention to practice, beginning with the intention, in the beginning we have the intention to practice and we keep the five precepts, this is the very beginning of the practice. Keeping the five precepts means to compose one's body and speech and the mind sees the danger or the harm that comes from when one breaks the precepts. If one is keeping the five precepts like this, then the mind becomes beautiful in the Dharma, one becomes uh, the Kalyanachon, or one, one who is beautiful practicing in the Dhamma. Anyone who is practicing without sila is like someone stuck in the mud. They're not able to really experience the light and brightness that comes through insight. If you try to practice meditation without uh, taking sila into consideration or without keeping the precepts, very difficult for any true calm or insight to arise. If one has established one's practice beginning with the sila, with five precepts, then calm and insight will arise uh, in its own time, but one has to uh, depend on endurance, patience and endurance as well. The purpose of keeping the precepts is to provide a, a foundation of, or an initial level of calm for the mind. Once one is established in the sila, then one can practice meditation, but one has to have a certain confidence or faith in the meditation method or meditation object that one is using. Contemplating in the body the p one part of the body or, or sweeping through the body, parts of the body 
or focusing on just one part of the body until the mind becomes firm, calm and firm that both these methods can give rise to samadhi even listening to a Dhamma talk like this one can make into a practice of samadhi to calm the mind ever since the time of the Buddha um, Buddhist lay followers have gone to uh, listen to talks and sometimes in the time of the Buddha listening to talks very intently with samadhi, with a calm mind they might actually gain deep insight and realize, realize the Dhamma during the middle of the talk it's similar to a, a swamp a swamp has a lot of algae or uh, weeds on the top of it covering over the swamp, the water of the swamp if you throw a, a rock into the, the water all the weeds and the algae will part and you'll see the, the water will clear for a while listening to a Dhamma talk is the same one gets an injection or a, a, a burst of uh, wisdom which will give a rise to a little bit of light into one's mind and will give um, some guidance as to the way to practice in Buddhism when you listen to a talk it's important to try and calm the mind so that you can receive any, any, anything that comes from the talk you can practice mindfulness of breathing as you listen this makes the pra um, listening to a talk into a practice sometimes even during the course of a talk you might become very peaceful and no longer actually listen to the words of the talk but the mind becomes very peaceful and stable in its own meditation so I encourage everybody to keep putting effort into the practice try to set aside all your doubts and uncertainty about it and if you do have doubts and uncertainty plaguing the mind then to just keep teaching the mind as Ajahn Chah said just keep seeing the impermanence of all your different thoughts and proliferations just keep teaching the mind and sooner or later it will calm down so you could conclude and say there are two main aspects or ways to practice one is to contemplate the body in terms of the three characteristics to reflect upon it the other is to just fix your attention on one aspect of the body one part of the body without thinking at all just concentrate very firmly on that part of the body both of these methods are ways to meditate, contemplate to give rise to peace of mind, calm of mind and they're both appropriate for people who like to think a lot practitioners who have a lot of thoughts coming up in the course of practice if, if anybody, any practitioner doesn't like to contemplate the three characteristics contemplate the body then to just fix attention on the breath and practice mindfulness of breathing as I explained earlier Ajahn Chah used to compare the practice to a, a knife there's both the, the ridge, the flat ridge behind it on the top part of the knife and then there's the sharp edge there's both samadhi and there's both 
uh, insight or calm and insight, samadhi and panya are involved in practice. These two aspects work together. He taught his disciples that when they learnt to calm their mind, then to contemplate the body and see it very clearly in the light of the three characteristics. But he didn't actually give specific teachings to each individual. He would teach uh, generally in this way and then leave it up to each individual to find his own way in the practice. As you contemplate the body, just try to find what aspect of that contemplation, what aspect of the body might bring calm to the mind and then work with that, keep working with it until you calm the mind. Some practitioners with, uh, they might have a strong defilement coming up, extreme lust, desire or extreme aversion, anger, contemplating death, Maranusati might work for them. These different techniques or aspects of the meditation, one has to try them out for oneself like food to know which food you like, which food you find delicious, you have to try, try different foods out for yourself so that you know what the tastes are like. As you practice, if you do get in any peace of mind, get into some, uh, develop some real calm of mind, that's enough just to have a peaceful mind and use it to contemplate. You don't have to start doubting what, what level of samadhi have I gained, is this jhana, what is this? You don't have to do that. It's like a lot of different kinds of fruit in a basket. You don't have to know the names, the conventional conventional names of all these different kinds of fruit. But if you tried one, you know what it tastes like. That's enough. You know what it's like. Ajahn Chah taught to practice letting go. So to try not to attach to goals, specific goals in the practice that I must get this level of insight or th that level of samadhi but try to let go of any, any kind of attachment to, to these stages or levels of, of the practice. If you do tend to attach to these then this will actually increase the amount of confusion and agitation in the mind, it will make you less peaceful. He uh, used to talk about this older monk who came and ordained with him at Wapapong. He had a lot of faith and he was really keen to get quick results in the practice and get the highest results. So from the very go, word go he was walking and sitting doing a, a lot of med meditation, putting a lot of effort in. But in a short space of time he didn't get the results he wanted so he got very quickly he lost his inspiration, got depressed and disrobed. But if you practice with this sense of letting go and find a, a balanced way to practice then it's uh, much easier and you just keep going in a more natural way. Practicing with letting go means to try and keep on a central path not getting caught in liking and disliking like you're walking along a straight path and whatever you meet along that path, whether it's branches or stones or things blocking your way, as you meet each, meet each obstacle just to pick it out and then carry along the path and if you meet another obstacle just to pick it up, move it off the path. 
or whatever object, sense object or mood the mind experiences just contemplate it and see if the mind is getting caught into attraction or aversion see whether the mind is caught into suffering or happiness or unhappiness and then just to pull back to a place of neutrality in the middle this is the way for the mind to progress to, to move forward in the practice even as, if, as in the lay, lay life you have jobs, families, things to do you can, if you practice in this way you can practice in the lay life because to uh, incorporate the Dharma into your life is as important as to have breath for, is for the physical body if you reflect on it the Dharma means nature or that which is natural if you think about it when we all started off in life we were just a small little blob of elements in our, our mother's stomach in, womb, in her womb as that small little blob gradually uh, grew taking in more food substances and moisture and nutriment uh, mixing the elements, the four elements mixing together and the body grew then a sense of attachment formed for, for that body we started to take it as, as an us, as a me, as an I what that means is that attaching to that form it means that we have to live with old age sickness and death as well but we never see that you see that what gets old dies is actually just these four elements if you were to contemplate to sit meditation make the mind calm and just contemplate this simple truth every day little by little then you'll see very profoundly the, the truth that the Buddha was teaching about impermanence the impermanence of the body and mind if you're able to see this clearly in your mind just once in, in your whole life then you could say that you're somebody who's been born with wisdom seeing clearly seeing this truth clearly seeing uh, contemplating the body clearly to let go of attachment for the body once you view this form in the correct way once you let go of your attachment then you let go of what they call tatarabhiti or personality view or think that this body, this form is not me, it's not I it's something that is not self and that would lead to an end to any kind of doubt or uncertainty about the Buddha Dhamma Sangha as well you'd let go of Sinapatabharamasa or uh, attachment to wrong ways of practice which don't lead to seeing the Dhamma the mind that sees like this has insight like this is a mind that is wholesome but there is no one there who is the owner of the mind there's no sense of self involved the Buddha Dhamma Sangha will become uh, come into that mind so to pra come and practice Dharma here is perhaps the most useful thing you can do with your time maybe so I encourage you all to 
be diligent and keep practicing as regularly and as consistently as you can and you should all get some good results from it so I think I've given enough time um, talked enough for the moment <coughs> after this um, we can have a discussion if anybody's interested anybody has any questions please feel free to ask What do you mean by flux? Flux means movement between Vedana to Sanya and Sanya to Vijnana and backwards. I'm not sure, to translate the question, I'm not sure I understand what flux means. Flux means movement between Vedana, Sanya and Vijnana and Chitta. Movement. Could you just repeat the second part again? Could you just repeat the second part of the question? It's quite a detailed question. I want to get it right. I was wanting to draw the attention of the venerable was the fact that at the point at which perception ceases in the sense that we cannot perceive the breath any longer, sanya ceases in short, and at that moment the mind is in a state of silence and the in that state of silence, the only thought that you that resides in your mind is that I have no thought. Mm. So what I wanted to know was, is that a state of pure Chittanapasana or is there a movement between Vedana, Sanya and the Chitta at that point? If one practices Anapanasati to that level, very refined level, where one is no longer experiencing external sense objects. One is experiencing an internal object. There is still a, a, a waiting that arises from the internal, from the in, within the mind, either Sukhavetana or Upekavetana. Uh, 
in fact I probably will say it in Pali, probably that in English, Nevasanya and Nasanya. Now, um, is that, that at that point there is an arising and ceasing of Sanya or that, that Sanya is um, not present at all? If one develops the rupa jhanas to the most refined level, then the mind uh, is experiencing upeka vaitana. And if one reflect, if the mind detaches from that and reflects on it, one can see the impermanence, unsatisfactory, and lack of self in that vaitana. And the mind, the mind will separate from the vaitana. If one takes one's meditation further from the rupa jhanas and takes a more refined object, just nama dhamma as opposed to rupa dhamma, and keeps focusing on nama dhamma, uh, at that level of neva sanya na sanya, one is not attached. One is simply aware of that there is. No, no sanya, and there's also one one's aware of that, uh, that there is sanya, but one isn't attached to either. One isn't attached to the fact that there is no the period when there is no sanya, and one isn't attached to the. I'm saying this, I'm not sure if this is a correct translation. Practicing at this level, one doesn't attach to the sense. Uh, one doesn't attach to perception. One doesn't attach to the lack of perception. One is let's say in a space of emptiness or a uh, place in the middle where one is neither attached to the sanya or the lack of sanya. Not understand anything or have any questions? Do you all know how to make your minds peaceful? Michael? Chris, uh, I don't comment on the difference between uh, vaping and feeling it and sensation in terms of contemplating, feeling, and contemplating sensation. Sensation, what do you mean by Well, sensation is like um, sometimes things to be feeling, and you're in there, and you have other feelings, feelings, but now there's pleasant feeling, pain, but there are neutral feelings. But there's a difference between the contemplation and the sensation that uh, a feeling arises on the body, and I'm using a feeling in the sense of often uh, more often than English rather than. Uh, you mean mood, feeling, the way you feel, feel good, feel bad? Old body sensation. As far as body sense, the physical body goes, waiting arises when the body contacts things. Uh, it's just sukha waiting or tukha waiting The mind is a little bit more refined. The mind can experience both sukha waiting and tukha waiting and also upeka waiting But the contemplation of the the weight and whether you're experiencing it as physical sensations attaching the bo- uh, coming to the body that one experiences through the body 
or different uh, objects which give rise to waiting or which the mind experiences. The contemplation is just the same, contemplating light of the three characteristics, see them as impermanent, rising, passing away, unsatisfactory and not self. Did you understand? Is it the contemplation of the form of the the characteristic of the Vedana that really makes the Vedana happen rather than the observing of the characteristics in the body? Gaya Nupasana, body contemplation of the body in, in the as a first foundation of mindfulness it involves, for example, contemplating the in and out breath. This is one aspect of the body. Focus, they say, focusing or establishing mindfulness on the in and out breath, or establishing mindfulness on one of the 32 parts of the body, or establishing mindfulness on your posture as you're moving, as you turn left, turn right, or as you're uh, stretching, sitting down, standing, walking, whatever, and simply maintaining mindfulness consistently on one of those aspects of the body. Uh, contemplation of Vaitana, Vaitana and Upasana, the second foundation of mindfulness. Vaitana is, is related to the body, but the uh, contemplation is slightly different. That you're not contemplation on the body itself, but on the feeling that arises, say, from contact, different parts of the body. You're contemplating the uh, arising and passing away of feeling, the, uh, because it's something that's impermanent, the unsatisfactory nature of feeling. It's not something uh, to be attached to because it's impermanent. It's not something that's you. There's not a self. If one keeps watching it very carefully, one sees that there's not a self in that waitana wherever it arises in whatever way these three characteristics are always applicable and one just keeps watching the uh, the now in light of these three characteristics so although they're, they're closely related they are they're sort of quite different in the practices would it be nice to say sir that I'm the contemplation of the anatomical composition of the body as compared to Vedana, which is the functioning of its six senses, um, the eye, nose, taste, ear, and touch, and the mind. So that makes the distinction, that's the difference that one is at a function, the other one is a function. Say, so if you have a, a headache, say, so if you're ill, you have a headache then the uh, the headache it comes from the body but one contemplates the waiting of the feeling of the headache the feeling of pain if one says sitting meditation and pain arises if one doesn't contemplate one immediately takes the pain uh, one sees the pain as, as in terms of the sense of self or says I have pain in the leg or whatever but if one contemplates, then there is knowing of pain and one sees that the pain is not self, 
there is no no one who is painful, but it's just waiting. That one sees it as waiting, and there is a separation. Object, what would you give as an example, say? Alright. Contemplating the body in the body, for example, means contemplating your own body. Contemplating the body uh, externally means the body of others. Contemplating the body uh, that is both internal and external, you could say, is like contemplating. the external part of your own body is, is uh, one aspect of that. Contemplating the internal organs, that which is inside your body, as part of that. As you contemplate the body inside the body, then uh, you might, if the mind becomes very refined, if mindfulness becomes very refined and contemplation is very consistent. Uh, and staying within the body very firmly within the body then it might arise that you might see um, the body in terms of the four elements you might see the body uh, in terms of a flow as as a flow of air or see the body as a flow of water uh, in some way as as you contemplate like this this is something that uh, the mind will just become more and more refined. See, it'll see the the four elements in more and more refined ways. That answer your question. Many teachers have tried just try and work it out through the words of the Sutta, say the Satipatthana Sutta, it's quite difficult. The thing to do is to get down to the body contemplation and do it. If you contemplate the externals of your body, then the body, say the external body, got the hair of the head, skin, nails and so on, you can go through the parts of the body on the outside. The internal parts of the body go through the organs, the blood, the bones, whatever. The idea is to see one or more aspects of the body as clear as possible with your mind's eye. See very clearly in light of the three characteristics. When you see very clearly in light of the three characteristics, then it should give rise to a sense of detachment, dispassion. That should give rise to uh, a lessening and ultimately a complete fading away of greed, hatred and delusion. That's the aim of the practice. The more you practice it, actually do the practice, then if you go back and read the words of the Sutta, they they will start to become uh, more clear to you. Oh, sorry. Sorry, there was a lady who's going to... A lady at the back. 
if you contemplate, say, for instance, the hair of the head, a one single hair of the head, on one level you can contemplate the hair on the head, and it's changing all the time. And then one day that hair will loosen from the head. It'll uh, separate from your body. It'll go back uh, to the earth, so to speak. That hair of the head will change into earth. Say, if, if you to take a hair out, put it on the earth, it will gradually become earth. That's contemplating it on one level. If you contemplate a bit deeper, then maybe you see that as it changes into earth, then that earth itself is a, something, it's a, a mass of molecules and atoms. So if you like separate all those molecules and atoms out, then what's left, there's nothing left, or emptiness is left. So then you see the, say, the emptiness in the hair, each hair. And if you contemplate, contemplate this uh, very often and see it very clearly, then you're like, you're seeing emptiness the whole time. You see the emptiness or the lack of self. When I say emptiness, I mean lack of self. That's an example. stick in the practice like this is that to see how peaceful the mind is if the mind is peaceful then one can contemplate like this but if uh, one loses one's peace of mind loses one's calm loses one's samadhi then the mind will get caught into proliferation and just aimless thinking and one will obviously not be able to contemplate like that so one has to keep looking at one's own mind, uh, keep putting the inputs, training the mind in calm and then developing insight. And if one's uh, practice of insight degenerates into proliferation, then one has to go back and develop some more calm and one just has to keep working at it like that. And each individual is different. It's something that develops naturally for each individual. Um, and the say the inner wisdom or insight that develops say from one level to another level this is something that happens naturally that one can't really uh, it's not something you have to control or think much about it will take place by itself one just keeps doing the practice matter of um, what they call what a samsara or samsara which is like the endless round of birth and death cycle of existence what feeds that is kilesa or defilements karma which is like intentional action 
and then vibhaka karma, which is the fruit of that intentional action. And this is a say like a chain or something that these three things feed each other. If one has still has a defiled mind, still has defilements, then those defilements will lead you to make karma, either good or bad karma. When you make karma, then there has to be a result from that karma, a resulting karma, that's vibhaka karma. And that leads you to attach to another realm of more realms of existence. Uh, in other words, leads to a process of what we call birth and death. And as long as one has defilements, that process just keeps going on and on. Uh, and the mind just keeps attaching, even to good karma. One still attach if one still attaches to that, then it creates more vibhaka karma, resultant karma, and creates more birth and death, and it just keeps going. Is that okay? You could say as long as this process is taking place, birth and death, kilesa karma, vibhaka karma, then there's always a self that's arising within that process. So that it seems like there's some kind of soul or entity there because there's a sense of self constantly arising. What the thing to do is is to practice what one does is say is one's moving from the lowest to the highest. One uh, maybe sees the harm of uh, making bad karma. So one starts to stop making bad karma and starts making more and more good karma. And uh, making good karma, say, the the best karma one can do is is to make is to practice meditation, to develop insight into this whole process, develop wisdom. And uh, as one's making good karma, one's still attaching to that good karma. There's still a sense of self, some kind of ego attaching to the good karma one is doing. But at the same time, that sense of attachment is much more refined than, say, the sense of self that might be arising for somebody making a lot of bad karma. And it's a matter of, as one keeps practicing, the sense of self is getting more subtle, more refined, less, less coarse and one just keeps letting go, letting go until eventually the wisdom that's arising, the insight that's arising from practice uh, is so powerful that the sense of self is constantly disintegrating, one's constantly having insight into the very lack of self in the whole thing and that, that will, is what leads to the end of the process. <coughs>